You're listening to the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, hosted by Zach Ragtold and Matt Franks. For the month of January, the Bearded Theologians will be looking at the word discipleship, and we'll be offering many views from blogs to interviews to the Beardcast focusing on discipleship making. And so we hope that you check us out at beardedtheologians.com. Welcome to the Bearded Theologians. I'm Zach Bechtold. And I'm Matt Franks. And today we, uh, we have a very special guest with us. It's um, a friend and a fellow colleague of ours, uh, Chris Wilterding. Um, he, he has a very long job title that I'm not going to try to, uh, to, to say. I, I wrote it on my arm and it just didn't work out. Uh, but he works for uh, or with Discipleship Ministries, uh, you know, the General Board of the United Methodist Church, right? Is that right? That's right. And I'm in the Young People's Ministries office and I'm the Director of Program Development in the United States. Perfect. So we, we have Chris, uh, Chris with us today. Uh, we've, we've had the opportunity and, and honor and pleasure to work with him in the past on uh, various projects and, and ministries. And uh, we've got to travel the world with him into the Philippines and, uh, you know, huddle down and hunker down for life. Uh, you know, you, you do stuff like that and it creates a, a special bond between people. And uh, we're very happy that you uh, joined us today, Chris. And uh, we, we just want uh, to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do. All right. Well, really awesome to be here with you two. Thanks for letting me hang out a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, our, our office has a lot going on. It's a really interesting place to work um, as, as part of Discipleship Ministries. The Young People's Ministries office um, is tasked with um, supporting and challenging the local church in disciple making for young people. Uh, so for us, that means in the United States, um, those that would sort of traditionally be in youth ministries or young adult ministries, so like sixth grade through um, college or maybe your first professional gig, uh, abroad, that age range shifts a little bit that uh, culturally, depending where you're from, if you're a youth, um, sometimes you're a youth from 12 all the way up till, you know, maybe 20, uh, 21, 24, depending where you are. Um, in some parts of the world, the definition of a young adult actually goes all the way up to 40, um, which is pretty awesome. So that time that we had in the Philippines, if we would still like to be considered young adults, we could move there and um, you know, qualify for that age bracket a little bit longer. Um, so really, everything that we do is uh, resourcing and challenging people in discipleship um, for youth and young adults. A lot of the stuff that we do is uh, leadership support for people in leadership positions of youth and young adult ministries. Um, everything that we do can be found on umcyoungpeople.org. Uh, we've got a really great weekly blog that's written by our staff, as well as a couple other guest contributors. And uh, that covers various um, leadership support topics. Um, normally that thing posts on Monday afternoons. Uh, we also um, take on young adult devotion writers. And so we have a young adult devotion that goes once a week. Uh, and that one's a really nice discussion starter for folks that have young adult groups that are um, just looking for a little something to maybe guide the time that they have together. We also get to do uh, some event planning. Um, we're a part of uh, supporting several leadership initiatives for conference leaders and local church leaders. I'm actually coming to you guys today from uh, Dallas, Texas. I'm part of uh, the steering committee for the Perkins School for Youth Ministry, uh, where they do some certification work for youth ministry in the United Methodist Church as well as offer workshops and training that are continuing ed for folks that want to kind of expand their skill set within youth ministry. Uh, one of the neat things at Perkins that they really have uh, and have done it well for a long time is a class called Foundations. Um, and we're trying to work with them to see if we can get the Foundations material out in some different places and in some different ways. Uh, because right now they have a basically four-day intensive 
and it's really designed for uh, youth workers or youth ministers who are in their first two years of youth ministry. And um, boy, is that the time to build up some skills, learn about the connectional system of the United Methodist Church, and form a network of support that will sort of increase your lifespan, as it were, mm -hmm. um, in ministry. Because often um, youth ministers can kind of feel like they need to do things alone, and that's not the healthiest way to do it. Um, the best and brightest, and you guys know this as well, um, are those that connect and have a network of support that they can tap into um, and do ministry alongside instead of feeling like they got to sort of bear the burden by themselves. Um, so we do some resourcing and training that way. We uh, get to plan events. Um, Zach, you were on the planning team for the national youth event in 2015, um, which was down in Orlando. And I get to be the person that the buck stops with for that event every time it comes around. It happens every four years. Um, the next one, Youth 2019, is going to be in Kansas City, July 10th to the 14th. And we're going to take over the convention center that's downtown in Kansas City, as well as their municipal auditorium. It's going to be a great location. Downtown Kansas City is awesome and clean and safe. Um, and we're going to build the whole thing there around discipleship as well. Uh, in 2015, we looked at the acts of piety and mercy um, and trying to give some real specific language to what young people can do uh, in order to intentionally and methodically, since we would be United Methodists, um, grow and develop their faith into more mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, so that event is a fun one to plan and do. Um, and then uh, there's a whole lot of other things I should really stop talking about it sometime. But the last thing I, I want to make sure I, I highlight is that we do publish some resources as well. Um, we've done some work with youth ministry partners as well as discipleship resources. And um, we've got a couple of things that uh, are out or coming out in the near future. Uh, one of them is called Building Spiritual Muscle. And uh, I co-wrote it with another member of the design team from Youth 2015, Sabrina Short. Uh, and it is a six-week study on the acts of piety and mercy um, for people that want to get started in terms of uh, trying to get their faith life into it, maybe a little bit more fit sort of module. Um, the other piece that uh, I wrote and is recently out is part of a, a three-part series on covenant discipleship from Discipleship Resources. Uh, Steve Manscar, who is part of Leadership Ministries, um, is sort of the godfather of covenant discipleship at Discipleship Ministries. And uh, <clears throat> he wrote a resource called um, Disciples Making Disciples. And it's a uh, training guide for class leaders um, for congregations and communities that are interested in getting covenant discipleship integrated into their models of ministry. And when he was writing that one, me and uh, Melanie Gordon, who does children's ministries for Discipleship Ministries, um, said, you know, if we're talking about covenant discipleship, let's see if we can do some intergenerational stuff there um, and develop covenant discipleship with children and covenant discipleship with youth. Uh, so Melanie and a couple of other authors wrote uh, Growing Everyday Disciples. And then uh, I wrote one, and it's right here, Everyday Disciples, Covenant Discipleship with Youth, um, because I think that Small group stuff has been proven that it works incredibly well um, across all age ranges. And uh, in the book, I kind of make the case that young people are sort of getting wired for social accountability, um, that there is a tendency for us to share what we're doing on social media um, for the sake of getting feedback, right? Like I would not take the time to take a picture of my food and post it on Instagram if I didn't think I was gonna get feedback about, oh my gosh, that um, shrimp and avocado, whatever it is, looks awesome. Um, much the same way, I think our faith lives um, 
we should want to share what it is that we're doing in order to get feedback about our own discipleship, right? And that's actually a super duper uh, historically Wesleyan idea that um, accountability within um, a church setting or within a community, um, you know, historically they would have been called bands or societies uh, in the United States, um, but being plugged in and, and being open and honest without having any sort of judgment um, is a really proud piece of our Methodist heritage and one that I think young people are wired to actually do really well. Um, so I think covenant discipleship is kind of a neat, um, I don't know, neat thing to explore for youth ministers these days. You know, I, th- I think so too. And I've, I've had the opportunity to, you know, do a, and be a part of as a participant and, uh, you know, on, on leadership teams with a lot of what you're working with at Perkins, you know, you, you mentioned Youth 15, um, and, you know, and a couple other things. And um, I, I had the opportunity to go through that foundations class. And I'd been at that point in time, when I went through it, I'd been a youth pastor five or six years, I think. And uh, it was super beneficial. Uh, I still use a lot of that stuff today outside of youth ministry. Um, and, and so just a, a shout out and a plug to that. If you're listening and, and looking and thinking about it, please, please go. It's, it's valuable, valuable information. And, um, you know, Matt and I got an invitation to, uh, to New Mexico annual conference. They're doing a pre-workshop. Uh, or some pre-workshops for, for people. And, and we got the opportunity to come in and do a very abbreviated uh, foundations type class uh, for uh, rural youth ministry uh, nice. for the part-timers, for the, for, for lay people who are volunteers and not getting paid and, and trying to help equip them in, in those manners. Um, and, you know, a lot of the resources you talked about are a lot of the resources we're going to suggest and hand out and, and do our best. Uh, Cause you're right. Discipleship is, is huge. And um, you know, that the online accountability piece, I, I wouldn't take pictures of hamburgers and it, and, and you know, food too, if it didn't hit people in a certain way, you know, and, and we do got to start looking at uh, you know, what's connecting with folks uh, and how do we, how do we connect uh, our walk with Christ into that? Um, I think one of the challenges <clears throat> in terms of what we try to sort of curate or put forward on social media is that there is the temptation to just sort of put our best self out there, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is the awesome place that I'm visiting, or this is the awesome food I'm eating. These are my beautiful kids. Um, I don't necessarily share the tough stuff. Right. And uh, so I do think in discipleship and that social accountability piece, um, you know, faith life is not necessarily easy. And so I, I do think that a key component of discipleship as well is not only being able to share the happy moments and the incredible moments, but you know, also building trust with a group so that you can be honest and talk through struggles that you're having um, mm-hmm. because that network of support is there. And if you've got trust and no judgment um, that people are willing to walk together and sort of journey towards, uh, Wesley would have called it Christian perfection, you know, not necessarily something that we would ever reach. Um, but we can do a little bit better every day. And by doing that, we end up transforming ourselves and transforming the world. Um, and that kind of stuff only happens when we're willing to be honest and surround ourselves with people who we can trust and say, yeah, you know, I, I'm having a tough week and here's why. Mm-hmm. Would you say it, it's difficult uh, for people to share um, their true selves because of we don't want to be looking like, well, 
oh, look, you know, they're going through a rough patch and it seems like it's a continual rough patch. Uh, you know, it's like post after post is very depressing. And, um, and, and maybe some way that we can, you know, emphasize that in this digital age uh, would be to actually have a, you know, maybe it's a group, maybe you just create like a Facebook group and you just have that space with, you know, a couple of people you can trust to say, Hey, here's, let me air out some of the stuff or process some of the stuff um, to be healthy. Um, I know in our annual conference, one of the, the cool things that we've done is we've created a young adult clergy group uh, through Facebook and it's people that are uh, local pastor, you know, young local pastors. I, I don't know what our youngest person is, but uh, after you reach 35, you age out. And then there's a whole other group that started because of that. Um, and it's been interesting to see the support and the questions because we know we can share some things that we wouldn't share uh, publicly or share some things that maybe like we've got questions that we don't know who to ask or, you know, Hey, um, I just watched a dog pee on a whole bunch of flowers at a funeral. How, you know, like, have you ever had that kind of experience? Uh, you know, um, I, I, would it be possible maybe if we could, you know, teach people that how in a sense of discipleship to, um, create a safe space for that to occur. So that way maybe it's not out there. Uh, and I think that that would, I, th I think that one that would bring people closer together um, because, you know, they know that there's a group of people they can actually trust versus, Hey, I'm just going to publicly post, you know, today was a rough day, you know? Um, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, uh, in the model of covenant discipleship, um, that group is formed like the initial activity of that group is creating a covenant together, um, making sort of this sacred agreement with each other about what everybody is going to try to do during the week, you know, because covenant discipleship groups, just like, it, you know, whether you're meeting in person or communicating on social media or, you know, video chats, phone calls, whatever, um, they meet regularly. Like you want to try to do it, you know, once every week, once every couple of weeks, whatever time frame you set up, regular check-in because that keeps up and maintains the relationship. Um, but that process of forming a covenant about these are the expectations that we have for our group, right? Um, these are the activities that each of us are going to try to do in our faith lives to better ourselves this week uh, based on Wesley's idea of what a class looks like um, is where it starts. And then part of that covenant agreement has to do with just what you're saying, the trust, the confidentiality, um, the support without judgment where someone can feel comfortable bringing things that are tough questions or are struggles of faith or struggles of family or any of those pieces, um, be able to bring them to a group knowing that what they share will stay with that group, uh, be prayed for by that group, um, be processed with that group, um, I think is a real, real different thing than somebody who's like the mopey Eeyore, right? That just like is Debbie Downer and throws, you know, oh, I need attention by throw in like a series of uh, unclear sort of uh, downer posts, right? Um, it's real, real different when you've got a group that you've established and then the groundwork of building trust with to be able to do that with. No doubt. Um, you know, Chris, you get, to, you get to work with people all over the world, uh, which I find fascinating. Um, and so you get to see a lot of different perspectives on discipleship and uh, in the various communities, whether it be online, uh, online across the world, um, or, uh, you know, very just in people's 
general communities uh, where they actually live. And, and what, what are the different things that you're seeing uh, across the world with young people in discipleship? Hmm. There was a ton. And so I'm trying to think about where to start, right? <laughs> sure, uh, that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> you know, one thing, one thing that uh, young people often have in common is that their discipleship is energetic. Um, that their discipleship journeys, um, it seems like the places where it's working really well, there's a lot of energy poured into it, but there's also a lot of energy output from it. Um, and that energy is sort of guided towards not like a singular focus, but certainly guided towards some different goals. Um, there's a, an activity that's called CELO. And I want to say it's in the People's Republic of Congo off the top of my head. It's in a French speaking West African nation. And so Congo is the first one that pops to my mind. If CELO is not there, I apologize. Um, but that one would, you know, that one would look a whole lot like, sort of a, a tent meeting or an evangelistic outreach gathering um, that would happen here in the U.S. with um, high energy music and speakers and um, commitments to life of faith and then connections to um, local church ministries, right? Um, for um, other parts um, of the African continent, and there's several conferences within the African continent, so I realize that this is a very general statement. Um, but uh, in many of the rural places, they are um, facing challenges that some of the U.S. churches are facing um, in terms of not having space, not having as many funds as they would like, and those kind of pieces. Um, and yet you see these discipleship meetings that are built around an afternoon of worship um, where everyone is invited to one central location, um, might be owned by a person who's a member of the church, um, not necessarily a church building, but, you know, meetings out uh, in space where other people are that make other people curious about joining in on those meetings. Um, and so I think there's a, a tremendous quality and um, tremendous opportunity for people to be able to make their faith publicly visible um, because of that dynamic. Um, I think that that is a little bit different of a dynamic here in the U.S. Um, I think either we carry a cultural assumption about, well, you know, maybe they're basically Christian or not. Um, but looking at like how we make our faith public in the U S um, it's real, real different. Um, there's places in Europe, um, and the churches, um, the United Methodist church is much smaller in Europe. Um, but there's some really interesting and innovative communities that are popping up around creative arts, um, particularly like in Germany and Switzerland. Um, there's a guy, um, who's fascinating to talk to and actually wrote a great book about, um, sort of being a pilgrim and going across Europe. Uh, his name is Barry Sloan, um, and he is Irish, but serves in Germany. And you could listen to him talk for like hours and hours and hours because he's got that awesome Irish accent. Uh, nice. and, he, and he's funny. Um, <laughs> but he's got a pop-up church. He has an inflatable church that he will take to the public squares uh, in different parts of Germany, he's got this bus that this like inflatable church kind of rolls out the back of, and they'll set up a worship service and just kind of do worship in a public square um, and do that worship in addition to community support and some different discipleship things within small groups um, that are in his community, which is really, really cool. Um, the church in the Philippines is incredibly organized um, and does a tremendous job of inspiring and equipping young leaders in discipleship. 
Um, and so I, I look at the models of leadership development that they have and recognizing spiritual maturity um, as being some really cool things that the church in the U.S. might be able to pick up on and, and learn from a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, that's kind of a sample. Um, you know, around the U.S., um, I do think there's some tremendous opportunities um, to be able to share about discipleship as well. Um, structurally, you know, those are um, – Folks, by the time I become familiar with young people that are in leadership tracks and discipleship tracks, it's often like CCYMs, you know, a conference councils on youth ministry, um, young people who have been identified with leadership gifts um, that we can kind of curate and maintain in some ways. Um, there's some great events that are going on. There's conference-wide mission experiences that are going on. Um, I guess the biggest single thing that I would say is that discipleship does not look monolithic. You know, it's not a linear process where it's like you start here, you do these three things and you end up with something here. Discipleship, it, it's this, um, it's this process with multiple entry points and uh, where somebody starts, maybe where someone else finishes. Um, and so it's important when we're thinking about discipleship in terms of anything that we offer to have a wide variety of places that people can plug in um, to express their faith life. You know, I, I want to, you, you talk about discipleship and, and high energy all across the world. And, you know, something uh, we got to see on a, on a national level here with U15 and the excitement and, you know, draw that it had, uh, you know, high impact worship and the speakers. For most of us, you know, probably 99% of the United Methodist Church, we can't recreate that at home, that energy. We don't have the you know, we don't have the people or the money or the skills, you know. So how do we bring that excitement home uh, from a high energy event, whether it be a youth 15 or youth 19 or a CCYM? How do we bring that back into our local churches um, and, and not recreate it, but run with it? It's a huge question, right? Uh, yeah. And it's not just for events, but, you know, like um, when you send a youth to camp, and they come back on fire mm -hmm. for Christ or for the church or for a mission or like they've got a calling and a direction in their life. Uh, you know, how is it that we try to support that energy that somebody comes back with? It's a great question. Um, and it's at the local church level. Um, I think it starts with people who care mm. and people who will listen and be willing to be in conversation about that's not something we do right now, but oh my gosh, can we figure out a way to work on this together? Um, I think that often that energy gets short circuited uh, when someone comes back and does not feel listened to. Um, if a young person comes back and um, they've had a moment of call, a moment of clarity, um, and they get back home and just nobody even listens to it because they're not recognized as a spiritually mature member of the church or uh, you know, something like that. I think that's where a lot of things get cut off early. Um, yeah. And I don't know if I've got the answer to it. Right. Um, but I do think it starts with relationships at the local church level of an adult that has an awareness of how structures or systems work um, to plug a young person in or support a young person and come alongside them and helping them accomplish their dream. You, you had mentioned, um, one of the, the great newer kind of fresh buzzwords in a sense of discipleship is intergen intergenerational. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I know for me uh, and my model of ministry, no matter where I've been, um, I try to make sure that we are intentionally intergenerational. 
Um, and I think that that's important for the church to have that in their, in their system and their model, because if we don't give, uh, young people or even old people space, uh, to do what God has called them to do, um, it, it creates kind of a, well, you know, only these people are, or you have to wait till you get your turn, uh, kind of status. And I think one of the problems, especially, um, in the United States that we have that you've got to pay your dues before you can lead kind of thing. Um, and in, in the churches that I've served, um, I've really worked hard at trying to break down those walls and saying, no, everybody has gifts. Um, and that everybody can, uh, we want to utilize your strengths to, to do the best work that we can for the kingdom of God. And, um, I've seen a lot of fruit by doing that. Um, and, and I know we don't have all the time in the world to, to talk about intergenerational ministries. That's something like I've really been, um, I've really kind of been attracted to these last few years. Um, and, um, you know, as we, as we think about that and we think about discipleship, what, um, what are some ways that maybe we can encourage, like maybe from you, since you're from the general church, uh, can encourage uh, people that might be listening to this that uh, are looking for a way in uh, to the church? Mm. Uh, well, I'm having a couple of thoughts. One of them is that I think there's been a change where like the church used to have a place in communities and now it's a place to find community. Um, and recognizing that people come to church to be a part of something greater than themselves. They're looking for community and connection. Um, that's a real different dynamic than what the church in the U.S. grew up to be, right? Because it used to be something else. Mm -hmm. um, I also think about how just sort of naturally young people and older people used to have more opportunities to interact. Um, extended families, um, the way that small towns were built, um, there was much more chance for interaction between generations. And so if we're not intentional about putting people of different generations into the same space, um, it doesn't occur as naturally as it used to, right? Um, the biggest single piece of encouragement that I would give um, to people of any age is to not be afraid of interacting with somebody that is not like you. Um, that I talk to older folks that are worried uh, and genuinely scared about getting into a room with a teenager or a child and not knowing what to say. Um, and to not get hung up on that fear because it's not about what you say, it's about the fact that you're there, right? It's, a, it's about the fact that you're willing to um, enter into a relationship and make yourself available and say, I don't know, I don't know the gr world that you're growing up in, but we're both here in this world now, so what can we do together? Um, and for young people, um, I would encourage them to realize that other generations have things to teach um, and things that they understand that um, young people will not understand yet simply because of life experience. Um, but also that that's a two-way street, that there's things that young people understand intuitively better than generations that came before them because of the world that they grew up in. Um, and so entry points for me are figuring out um, comfortable spaces to let relationships sort of naturally bubble up, you know, not trying to frame something around one-on-one -on -one conversations or like setting up a real specific mentoring kind of a thing. Um, but doing something as simple as like setting up a prayer partner program uh, where you had like almost like pen pals within a church that like, if you were going like, you know, make a chain of three people, like somebody from a, a, an adult age group is going to pray for and write prayer notes to somebody who's a youth and that youth can write prayer notes for somebody who's a child and that child could then write prayer notes for the person who's an adult. 
And if you have them exchanging prayers over the course of three months, then, you know, I don't know, get everybody who's in one of those chains together for a dinner or a meal or something at the end of three months so that everybody can hang out and kind of be face to face and everything. Like, oh, you're partnered up with them. That's so cool. Uh, and then shuffle that up if you wanted to try it again, if it worked. Chris, uh, we thank you for your time. Um, we're, we're about to run out of our free time. <laughs> it's not the free time is good. Uh, free time is good. <laughs> yeah, free time is really good. Uh, and we thank zoom.us for offering us this free time. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> You know, Chris, we, we thank you for the time that you shared with us. Um, and we, uh, you know, you're more than welcome to come back anytime. Uh, this this week uh, for our Bearded Theologians uh, Beardcast, now I don't know when we're going to put this on, but we'll have it on sometime soon, uh, as soon as it gets edited and all that good stuff. Uh, but, um, you know, we want to encourage you to check out our website at beardedtheologians.com. Uh, we've got some great gear on, on the website and all sorts of cool stuff going on there. So we just encourage you to look at that stuff. Um, and so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. And Zach actually started a lot better than he ever does before. I did. I never start this well. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians Beardcast. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians or look at our other content, go online at beardedtheologians.com. And also don't forget to pick up one of those beautiful coffee mugs or t-shirts that we have on our website as well. Let's rock and roll. All right. You so can't see if I can start it. I have a problem starting things.